bum bum bottom 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 bum bum b
the deal is with this movie. I I, I can be your dealer. Yeah, please, I, please. I can, I can deal the deal. Uh, the deal with this movie is there's this girl, Barbara Thorson. She uh, is an outcast at school. She doesn't have a lot of friends, but she seems to have this super elaborate fantasy life where she sees herself as a giant killer. And so she spends her time after school mixing concoctions and and doing hexes and not hexes, but you know, like little she has her little Potions symbols. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, runes. And yeah. setting traps for giants. And then one day a girl who had just moved into town named Sophia stumbled upon Barbara doing her thing and she started to ask some questions and there was just something about Sophia that Barbara wanted to allow this girl into her world. But in doing so, she ended up maybe exposing a little bo- a little more of her soft caramel center at the center <laughs> of her like tough exterior yeah. than she bargained for. Yeah, okay. So that, I think you did a great job. Well, thank that, you, that's my awesome. love. Uh, and that's all you need to know going into this conversation. Um, you know, the book is available right now from Image in a single graphic novel collection. It's only $19.99. Joe wrote the script. Uh, the illustrator is J.M. Ken Nomura. I would highly recommend the book. And I would recommend the film, which you can uh, rent right now on iTunes and Amazon and all those places. So if you want to go ahead and watch the film, you could do that right now and then jump into the conversation. But don't worry. We don't spoil anything. You can enjoy this conversation on its own. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's it. Let's let's jump into the chat, and then we will meet you back on the other side. We had this at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, like we said, up in their projection booth. It's a little echoey, but uh, it's not too bad. Since we're mentioning the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester, we also have to mention University of Shenandoah's Project Right. Yes. They were the ones, they're a nonprofit agency to teach uh, the youth how to become screenwriters, how to become poets. I don't know what kind of writing. I, screenwriting. I did, no, yeah. screenwriting. Is it like exclusively exclusive I believe the emphasis is on screenwriting, and that's why they had Joe there, and Joe spent the whole day with those kids before joining us on the podcast and then screening the film, hosting the film, and then doing the Q&A with us as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, there you go. Let's jump into the chat. And we'll meet you back on the other side. And here we are back in the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester Projection Booth. We are joined by special guest, Mr. Man of Action himself, Joe Kelly, uh, comic book scribe, screenwriter of I Killed Giants. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I we saw this film originally as part of the Lost Weekend film Lost festival. Lost Weekend Nine. Lost Weekend Nine. And uh, I love when you watch a film, like a whole series, like a, when you marathon movies, mm-hmm. you really get to see what films really work because you have a crowd that has just well, watched like six films and then they're your all reacting. Your brain just becomes like the human sieve. And right. then at the end of the weekend, you're like, what, what do we have left? But then right. you come to a film like I Kill Giants and then 
you see, boom, it still, it like really hit that audience and yeah. it kind of took over that day. It, it oh, did. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's really nice to hear. Thank you. And uh, so, yeah, so there's our, there's our compliments. Thank we think you. your movie's great. Thank you. Uh, Lisa, <laughs> kick us off. I know you have your usual list of questions. I do. I do. Um, so I was doing my little research on the Googles. Okay. Very surface level. Um, <laughs> but the character of Barbara was initially inspired by having a daughter and parenting. And and at the time, your daughter was very young, right? Yeah. And so you were kind of projecting into the future. Mm-hmm. Could you talk you a little Google bit? Did you Google my mind? I, <laughs> I did. I, it's, it's all about the keywords, my friend. <laughs> I'm sorry, whatever you had to say. <laughs> uh, so could you talk a little bit about that, creating Barbara as this kind of idea Sure. Yeah. She. Uh, so my daughter was was very precocious. Um, I mean, she was walking and talking before one. I mean, she was. Uh, she still is a handful. I love her. Uh, but she's. Yeah. She's. She's great. And she. Um, she looked like Shirley Temple. Mm-hmm. Like literally. And and older people would be like, "You look just like Shirley Temple." And finally, she'd be like, "I am not Shirley Temple." And she would just like <laughs> mouth off to people in supermarkets. So, and and my wife, uh, we're all very like uh, comfortable at home, uh, whether it's you know with cursing or discussing things, whatever. We have very very open house when it comes to that sort of thing. When I would go on long trips, my my wife would have curse night mm-hmm. because she could tell the kids were getting stressed, and she'd be like, "You have two minutes. You can say anything you want." That is some quality parenting. <laughs> it was, and the first time I witnessed it, I was both horrified and completely <laughs> impressed at the same time. But to see these little faces just saying the most vile things was really funny. But so that was my daughter, and and I was trying to also guide her towards all the nerd stuff that we like. Which ultimately she resisted and, and went her own way, though she does really appreciate art movies, which is at least I got that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, you know, my wife still makes fun of me for when I showed her Superman and she didn't know who was going to save Lois, and I was sitting there crying, and I was like, she doesn't know yet. <laughs> so, it reaffirms the thing you love, though, because like it shows you that Superman still works. Today. 100%. And that that film is just, you know, it's, Brilliant. it's so good. So, so yeah, it was taking her and just going, okay, so what if she was heading in that direction? What if she was a little bit more of an outcast, uh, a D&D kid, you know, that sort of thing? And, and you know, when I wrote Ico Giants, D&D had not had its resurgence yet. You know, we were not in, like, board game nirvana that we are now and all that sort of stuff. So what might she be like? How would she? Because she's very comfortable around adults. She always had been. So it was it was taking that and putting her in this situation uh, that I had cooked up, and it was um, so yeah. So she became the model, and I, I rip off from real life all the time. You know, when I would write Superman, the editor would be like, "How's things at the Kelly house?" I mean, like, why? Like, well, Lois and Clark are being a little snarky to one another, and it and it would be sometimes literal things my wife and I had said to one another. So. Yeah. So, so <laughs> what is it like now, you know, because the inception is with the idea of what is Barbara going to be like in the future? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a new parent. But now she has grown into, you know, this human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does she relate today to what you thought of when you were writing I Kill Giants? <laughs> well, I mean, she's, she's nothing like, well, she's, she's very comfortable talking to adults. She has no problem speaking her mind. So that's very good. And uh, she she's super smart. 
Um, and she has her own opinions about, you know, she's a very strong-willed person. So in that realm, you know, she's a lot like Barbara. Um, but, yeah, the nerd stuff, like I said, uh, with the exception of film, like mostly because I am not a great parent with a filter. So we watched Drive when she was, like, really young. That's like, a good movie. Yeah, it's a good it's movie. It's a good movie. And then it's we were violent. We, we were staying a little violent, <laughs> and we were staying in the city when, um, uh, uh, what's it? What was the, the next one? Uh, uh, Only God forgives. Only God forgives yeah. came out, and I'm like, all right, it's going to be another cool movie. Let's go see oh that. My oh my god! god. And, uh, and she wasn't 15 yet. I mean, she was really young. And she watched that film, and after it was done, she just turned. She goes. All right. Well, I experienced that, didn't I? <laughs> you know, like, and that's who she is. Like, she's she's now like a go getter. She'll try anything. She's um, very adventurous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think to the degree that she relates to Barbara, I think Barbara grows into an adventurous person who takes chances and uh, and doesn't say no. It's always what next. Uh, it's, hearing your stories, it's very similar to how my relationship was with my parents because mm. uh, they were very open. You know, I want to go see the new Stallone movie. Let's go watch Cobra. Right. All right. Let's go watch Cobra. And they'd be mortified and they would be <laughs> they'd be very concerned with what I was saying. They probably weren't as liberal as you were, but they let me go and watch those films. And so I'm kind of curious, like, what is? How did that? Um, concept of parenting of exposure develop uh, you know with her uh, oddly with her and it's funny because my son is a totally different beast although him and I now probably watch more of the same stuff but uh, she became fascinated with monster movies very young for some reason I, I really don't know why I don't remember what the first hook was that she wanted to see but she got interested in, in monster movies and I was like okay the, and only monster movies was the, the deal. <clears throat> we weren't ready. Like, she she saw Scream with a friend at, like, 13. Okay, yeah. I didn't want to get into any slasher stuff. So the, what was beautiful about being in the age of the Internet is you show them something, and then you can go, now, look, immediately I can show you on the computer. That was fake, and here's how they did it, and this is what that actor was. It looked like that monster and all that kind of stuff. So it really helped mitigate any psychological damage I was doing, at least in my head. But she was the one that started it. And, and I love horror movies. So, and, but I also have a terrible memory. So like, I go, yeah, sure, we'll watch The Exorcist. Like, <laughs> there's just this head spinning in the pea soup. There's a little more than that. Um, or I, one time uh, we were watching the, uh, the Let the Right One In, the Danish mm-hmm. version. And... Uh, I fell asleep. <laughs> so, Whoops. yeah. Uh, so good stuff in there. Dad, 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 you know, <laughs> and she's hitting me, and I wake up to the bloodletting, and I was like, okay, this one maybe wasn't for you. But, you know, one of my fondest memories of watching movies with her was uh, Drag Me to Hell. Mm. We laughed, and, you know, she was scared at the right parts, and then later I was like, look at how they actually shot maggots at that mm. poor actress, you know, mm. like, that, that was what we did. So it just became a thing that we were comfortable with. And, and my son... Was a, he is a perfect self-editor. He would watch two minutes of something and go, nope, and walk out of the room. Now he's he's introduced me to like a lot of anime and a lot of stuff, and, and we're Marvel movie buddies, you know, so blockbuster stuff. Uh, and, and now his palette has expanded. He's watched a lot of art films with us too. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just it came from their interest, really. And um, 
and, and my lack of uh, judgment, I guess. Well, I always found, like, to your point, to your son's point, is I knew what I could handle and what I couldn't. So I would watch Alien and be like, this is rad. And then I would do the research at the time. It was like Starlog Magazine and yeah, Gregoria, yeah, yeah. things like that. But then I would watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre and be like, yeah, no. Right. Ten minutes into that movie, or actually it's probably when Franklin got it, mm-hmm. I was like, I, I'm not ready for this. And then I would shut it off. I but. had the complete opposite really? upbringing. My parents were super conservative. Major Catholics. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything we saw had to be approved by the Pope. The Arlington <laughs> Catholic Herald. My little brother actually thought that that was the Pope's main job, was to watch all the movies <laughs> and write down if the Catholics were allowed to see it. Um, but, like, I, then I had no, like... When Brad, I started dating Brad, he asked me if I liked horror movies, and I said yes, just because you know I'd seen action movies and there's like shooting and stuff in sure, it. So I yeah. just kind of extrapolated that maybe I could see <laughs> Halloween the remake, and then I was uh, like a grown woman, crying. really crying at the death of Danny right. Trejo. He loved him so much, and he was the only one kind to him. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's get this back on the rails. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I, 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 you, you, well, you you got the rails. I do. Okay. So, but this goes to the idea of the like the influence of films and wanting like what kind of ideas do you want to put into a film like once you had created Barbara and you had written the the comic book I Kill Giants you rolled right into a spec uh, right yeah. in the spec script and what was it about I Kill Giants where you go this is going to translate directly to the screen uh, I thank you for asking that question that's it's it's funny because I um I've only said it one time to my wife ever where I wrote I wrote the script uh, well I'll take a step back so um, at the, I don't want to spoil it for anybody but there was, stuff was happening in my life with my parents and I had my young daughter and I was just like had the idea for the story mm-hmm. and and it really did it sounds goofy but it's it's honestly true I was sitting in a doctor waiting on waiting room uh, actual physical therapy and um I wrote the whole thing longhand on a legal pad, like wow. not nine pages, just like I had had an idea the night before and I'm, I'm good at, I don't have to sit up in bed and write it. I repeat it like five times and I don't forget it. And um, so I got up, I was at this PT office, wrote the whole thing out on a legal pad and it never changed. Like, And I haven't had that happen maybe even since where the thing comes whole cloth and then it was developing it out over the course of like three months or so, writing the comic strip, uh, script, and then I just loved it. And I said to my wife, like, this is this is the one. Like, this this is one that people are going to get. And it, it might have been because I had been doing superheroes for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was a new muscle. Well, to me, like the outcast girl with the rich imagination, like that kind of character was so seminal to me. Mm. Like the idea of Anne of Green Gables, mm. Emily of a New Moon. I'm just going <laughs> to name Ellen Montgomery books. Um, Little Women, where it's just like that idea of like, yeah, you may not be understood, mm. but what what you have within yourself is so powerful right. that... that um, just that introspective life that you hold can be something that's like simultaneously isolating and rich. Mm-hmm. So I think pushing, like, I think that translation into the comic book realm is so natural. Like that idea of like, well, this, mm. well, with a rich in- imagination, you are creating your own adventures. Right. And then I'm just thinking about the young women who 
like I'm talking about young girls who get to then see Barbara mm-hmm. on screen and like this other translation of the imaginative adventurous girl. I have you had young women come up to you and say how how that character has influenced them? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a wonderful experience seeing really both the comic and the film because it at cons the gamut you know come up and it's great because it's uh you know it's it's young women or it's you know 40 year old guys and they found the book kind of when they needed to find the book very often and and it sort of had an impact usually on the younger side uh i find that that younger readers don't just pick it up a lot of times it's been given to them Mm -hmm. um which is which is sort of interesting but um they all get impacted by it in a, in a different way, and it's it's very moving. Like I, I, I've had uh, you know, the tears have been shed at Comic Con mm-hmm. uh, on on both sides of the table, um, and then with the film, it, it's really fascinating to me to watch young, very young viewers because we showed it once at uh, Lincoln Center at a at a children's film festival. And I thought, like, it was on after Ferdinand the Bull. I was oh my like, god! Okay, well, let's see how this goes. And, awesome. Um, and there were some really little kids in the audience, and they were riveted. And I think part of that is definitely like what you're what you're talking about, like Barbara, how she feels about herself, how the world is stacking on top of her, and you don't exactly know why. And we can all sort of relate to that on one level or another. But part of it is that Barbara's life. Uh, she does stuff that we're like parents don't allow kids to do. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got to wear a helmet, which people should wear helmets when they go on the bike. <laughs> but she rides her bike without a helmet. She climbs telephone poles like she's playing in the mud. She's doing all this stuff that seems dangerous. You know, like even even something as simple as like the you know the little blood uh, pinprick thing. Um, that's the sort of thing that would have been in movies and it was on TV shows when I was growing up and it was like nothing. Mm-hmm. But we were so like told that kids' audiences can't handle any of this stuff mm-hmm. that a lot of their films are sanitized. So when they watch it, they really lean in. It's, it's pretty, it's a very cool moment. And then certainly by the end, depending on kind of where they're at in their lives, the boys and girls uh, had come up to me and go like, I really related to her or not to me personally, but whisper to their dad, like, I feel exactly like her. You know, like, that sort of thing, which is like a knife to the heart and also goes, yes, yay, um, this is why I do it mm. at the same time. And it, for for kids, it's going to translate directly into um, going back to, th- like, things I feel like kids are losing nowadays, like imaginative play, mm-hmm. wanting to go and explore. You know, letting letting friends in on a secret imaginary right. richness. I think we spend a lot of time trying to find what a children's entertainment should be. Mm-hmm. You know, like when we create children's entertainment, we we're we're not thinking we're not thinking like a child. We're thinking like a parent. Right. You know, and so often why we are kids and we get attracted to Drive or Alien <laughs> or or I Kill Giants is because. It is a story that is just being told, and we meet it at its level. Right. It doesn't come down to the child. Yeah. And I think that's what's really yeah. missing in children's entertainment right now. For you, though, you have written in a variety of mediums. You know, you've got your comic book work. You've got film work. Uh, and even within the comic book work, it's very varied. You know, I Kill Giants is very different than The Hunt for Professor X, which is where I encountered your work. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, but... 
like for you, like what is is there a creative drive that is being um, not drive? Is there a creative nourishment that's different between the mediums? Like, do you get something different from comics versus cartoons? Versus sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they all scratch different itches for various reasons. The, the version of storytelling um, challenges me in different ways, which I like. Uh, with comics, uh, it's short of writing a novel. It's the closest to this is in my brain now. It's in your hands, kind of thing, um, and that's a great feeling. Like you have so much control over a comic, even even a corporate comic. Honestly, like. If you have a good editor and, you you know, we got away with so much stuff on Deadpool, especially because nobody thought it was <laughs> going to last. Um, X-Men, oddly, was one where they had a heavy hand. Which yeah, is why, well, it was a huge title at the time. Yeah, and it was also why, why Steve and I ultimately had to quit because it was like they were rewriting balloons for us and we were like, guys, we'll do anything you want. Just please call us. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but so I love that for that reason, that, that like, main line to the audience. And then film is just uh, what I grew up wanting to do and thinking about like things that influenced me like Terry Gilliam films you know like Fisher King is like my favorite movie so the impact that that had on me and seeing things on the big screen you know I had a professor that always described it as like basically you're watching the gods you know like it was sort of there's a reason it works when it's larger than life you know um and then, uh, and then with animation, I you know I think back. Uh, there were cartoons that you know got me through so many things. I, and I wouldn't necessarily say like I had a hard childhood or anything like that. But having that escape, having that safe, you know, I, I don't mean safe place in the way we mean it today, but like a place where my imagination would run wild. That as soon as I could turn it off, I would still be in that world and wanting to play those characters and all that stuff. Um, I feel like I don't have that, you know. Uh, so if I can help create that for somebody, and that's a that's a gift. And it's kind of funny now because Ben Ten's been on for I guess almost 15 years. So so now we're getting kids like college kids going like, "You did my childhood," <laughs> and it's like I feel old, but thank you, you know. And uh, and that's great. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. So they they each do something different. I think. It's bouncing between the the genres are probably more nourishing creatively than the medium. So, you know, something that's for a kid but that has a mature vibe to it is one kind of thing. I love those kinds of stories. Uh, today I was referencing, like, Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, yeah. you know, um, for, for something else, which actually I realized, I, not until after the fact, how much an impact that had on I Kill Giants mm-hmm. in the just sort of building of... Her story is really, you know, there's only one male role, kind of, in the movie, I guess two. Uh, in the book, it even feels like less. Um, so it's her her life at that moment being defined by her interactions with other girls and, and with Miss Molay. So it's like, that was all Kiki, I think, in the back of my brain. It wasn't until later I was like, oh yeah, that's that's where that came from. But seeing seeing that film and seeing things like it where you go, like you said, I love the way you say it, the, the audience meets the film, you know. Uh, let the kids rise to that level. Um, that feels really great. And then when I have my dark humor stuff that I need to, the demons I need to purge, that's what Deadpool or Bad Dog or something like that is for. And, um, and comics are great for that because I don't have to wait for an executive 
who is nervous about whether or not this is going to fit in their slate mm-hmm. or define their whatever to green light something and put a lot of money behind it, et cetera. So. Do you prefer creatively to work like a lot of irons in the fire at the same time kind of thing? Or would you rather like go like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to create Barbara. I'm going to write I Kill Giants. And then I'm going to follow, like I'm going to go down this particular creative road until until it stops. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm that horrible person that uh, the grass is always greener in whichever <laughs> version I'm in. Yeah. And, I, and I'll complain about this to my friends all the time. If we have 10 things happening, I just go, you know, it would just be so good to just be on one thing. Like, can't we just do it? Then you're on one thing and like, oh, man, I really wish there were six things. Just And you sort of learn. I find that a lot of people, uh, writers I know, you have your primary project and then you have a secondary or a tertiary project that just to keep your brain from going to Twitter, mm-hmm. yeah. you go, oh, you know what? I'm stuck here. I'll go do that. And then you move that. But, um, like, I read that, like, when you started being approached about your spec script of I Kill Giants, you're like, well, this idea is precious, and I, I'm the yeah. only person who gets to yeah, touch this idea. <laughs> and so I think that's interesting where it's like you, you also work on, like, all of these other kinds of collaborative mediums where out of necessity, like, it's going to be, t- it's going to have everybody's fingerprints right. all over this, it. This, don't so, touch. Yeah, so right. so what made this story in particular very special? Uh, partly, I was lucky enough to, uh, because it had existed as a comic and I had those kind of interactions um, with people, I knew that I, I had, I had hit something that I just didn't want anybody to mess up. Yeah. If it was going to get messed up, it would be by me. Mm-hmm. And that, that was okay. Um and, uh, and like I said, when I said to my wife, like, this is the one, um, you know, it wasn't like any prophetic vision or anything. It was just like I knew that it was so close to me and I felt like it would resonate, so I had to protect it. Mm-hmm. And luckily, the producers that came on board early got that. And then when, it, when I had to say that to Chris Columbus, that was a little intimidating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do want to get to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but once Chris signed off on it, then it was like a, a done deal, which was cool because then and everybody who subsequently came was like, well, Chris already said Joe's writing it, and that and that was it. And then it got to the point where like they were calling me from Belgium, and they'd be like, what do we write on this sign? And I'm like, why are you asking me? Like, You're the writer. You're the only one. Because Chris said so. Yeah, exactly. It was really funny. Well, so how do you convince him? How do you convince Chris Columbus that you're the guy? Yeah, so I was I was lucky enough that uh, in that development process of doing the spec script, I wrote the spec. I wanted to know if it was a good sample. I sent it to a good friend of ours who at the time was at Nickelodeon and liked the same stuff I did. Same thing, the same idea of you can write up for kids. And uh, she gave me a lot of great notes. I put those into the script and then also put them into the comic. And that went back and forth oh, for a while. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, and then when the comic was printed, this is a little inside baseball, but because they were taking a risk, Image was taking a risk on this kind of strange little book, every chapter had to be 24 pages exactly because what they did was they overprinted the guts of the book and mm-hmm. then they just bound them for a trade. So it saved money. Yeah. So then I had to go back into the comic script and then I could put stuff in from the movie script. You know, So it was a development process. So I probably wrote it six or seven times before they ever read it. So once... Um, Chris's development executive, uh, Michelle, had, had seen it. She gave it to him. He liked it. And then I said, well, there's a script already. And I sent the script. And the script was a pretty direct adaptation. Mm-hmm. And 
so they knew I could write. And then when we talked about it, and I, and I did say, I really, I, I understand you like to write on the things you direct, but I'm really, I really want it to just be me. Uh, and he's like, well, can I give you notes? And I was like, yeah, of course. And then all the notes were about how to basically not break the movie uh, and how to keep the questions about what's going on with Barbara afloat, which for some reason don't bother people in a comic. Mm-hmm. You know, because there are things that happen in the comic that just work. Uh, you know, like there's a, a scene that I don't, I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, but like there's a scene in the comic where she has armor all of a sudden. Right. And she gets punched and the armor disappears. If we film that live, you would just go like, well, where's the armor? And if nobody says anything, then that was in her head. Mm-hmm. And if we do say something, mm-hmm. then where the hell did the armor come from? Interesting. You know, like, yeah, and, and I, I, that hadn't even hit me. Yeah. So so Chris gave those kinds of notes, and Anders did the same thing. I mean, the, he was very, because Anders has a, he's a great imagination. He's a comic book artist mm-hmm. also. And um, he was like, you know, in his nice Danish way, like, Joe, I'm sorry, <sighs> but you have to cut this part. And I'd be like, what do you mean? And then... Mm-hmm. That's fascinating because you don't often think about how you read a comic versus how you watch a film. Well, I find it super interesting that these two, because like in my mind, like from what I'd read, I was like, okay, well, you wrote the comic and then you wrote the thing. But the the idea that these two scripts are happening concurrently, like, like it's really, but it's it's really interesting (laughs) because it goes back to that idea is like the precious thing is not the comic or the film, the precious thing is the character, mm-hmm. right? Right. Story, right. And so, like, it's a matter of translating the character in a way that speaks in all mediums, and staying true to that character. Do you think of it as two different pieces of art? Yeah, I feel like they're, comp- they're complementary because they're the things that we, when we took stuff out of the film, we replaced it, you know, <laughs> from the beginning, the very first time anybody was interested in, in I Kill Giants, as a film, the first question was, can there be more giants? No. <laughs> like, many, many times. And I was just like, oh. You know, and, and I, would, I would go, no, there really can't, you know. And when we started pulling some of these things, these elements out, we replaced them with, we, you know, there are more giants in, in the film than there are in the comic. Um, but I felt like it was fair. I felt like it was still, they still served the same role. Mm-hmm. Um, which all had to do with externalizing things that would happen internally for Barbara. Whether or not it's fantasy or real doesn't matter. It's how I would I would treat any character, right? Because we want to build thematically from the things that they're fo- focused on, and what am I really? What story are we really trying to tell? Which, to your point, is what the thing's really about. So, I care more about the themes and the story than I do about its execution Medium necessarily. Yeah. So I was able to trade those pieces, but because I was the one trading the pieces, it was okay. If somebody else had said, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, I would have been up in arms. And, hmm. Yeah. Huh. Well, we do have to get you to your screening. Uh, we're, 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 we're super excited to share it with Film Club. I'm curious to see how many people were at that last weekend nine screening too. I'm betting a I'm betting a ton. Bet this is going to be a second watch for a lot oh, of people. That yeah, that very, that's very. We've talked to a few of them already. Um, but Joe, before we get out of here, uh, I just want to give you an opportunity because you have many uh, you know irons in the fire. Like what 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 should we be excited about in the in the world of Joe Kelly right now? Oh, that's. 
so that makes my life so, so much more exciting than it really is. Um, well, uh, Marvel just announced I'm, I'm writing uh, the last Deadpool story, quote unquote. Uh, they have a sort of series coming out. I think like this Captain America book. There's a few of them. So mine, I'm doing Deadpool. Um, comes out early 2020, so that'll be fun. Um, it, it's pretty fun. It's I think it's going to be good. I adore like the end series. You know, I just reread Starlin's Thanos. Right. The end. Oh, that's cool. oh, it's like so an awesome good. the end. Yeah. Of course it wasn't. There's many more Thanos stories, but like it's always good to see like the last moments of a character. Yeah. Yeah. And Deadpool. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's it. I think so. I haven't gotten fully approved on some of the things uh -huh. that are in there, but we'll see. Um, and then uh, Man of Action has uh, Ben 10 is, is currently running. I think it's, I always forget what season it actually is. I think it's season four. Uh, but Ben 10's running. Uh, Power Players is a show of ours that just came on Cartoon Network. Those are all for the, for the youngins. Um, we have a show called Zack Storm that's on Netflix. The current Bakugan series, we helped guide that. Um, I'm doing a new book with Ken called Immortal Sergeant. Uh, I don't know when that's going to appear. It's pretty big. Okay. Um, the script is almost done as of this as of this recording. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, poor poor Ken is just waiting for me to finish. Uh, but it's pretty big. It's um, it's uh, calling it semi autobiographical is a little much, but it's uh, it's about a father and a son. The father's a retiring cop, and he's tracking down a cold case, and he drags his kid along. Uh, but he's like 75, and the son is probably me. He's a, he's a blend of me and Ken, actually. Oh, that's what, fun. This weird, disaffected, you know, creative type. Um, and uh, and there are actually autobiographical elements in that as well. But um, Ken is, I mean, he's a super genius and draws so quickly that it's 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 a bit of a luxury, and I have to be careful not to be piggish about it. Cause <laughs> he wants to draw a little bit more expanded. He's uh, there's a book called uh, Do you know um, this one summer? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. We're both Barnes and Noble employees, so this uh, one summer was huge. Yeah, we were Barnes and Noble employees. So that was a big book. Yeah. yeah. So he after seeing that, he's like, could we do like a little bit of this, like a little bit more expanded storytelling? So. I gave him like the first hundred pages, then it became 130 pages. So I'm like, okay, you do whatever you that want. If you can draw it, so that'll be fun. And um, yeah, and then Man of Action is always cooking up plenty of stuff, and uh, hopefully there will be things I can tell you about more cool. going into well, next year. Well, that sounds pretty fucking exciting to me. <laughs> I think you got a lot going on. Uh, can we can we hunt you down and stalk you online somewhere? The social meds. Yes, the Twitter is generally the the place that I, I stalk the most, uh, and. It's really embarrassing. I don't know my own Twitter handle. I um, do. Oh, okay, Joe good. Kelly, yeah, Andy uh, does too. Joe Kelly, M O A. That's right. I always forget because I think my Xbox name is like M O H O K. <laughs> so I flip them. So I so I might have had I might have it wrong, but yeah. So Joe Kelly M O A, and then uh, manofaction.tv is just kind of our company website. Um, though honestly, it hasn't been updated in a little while, so. I could use a, a brushing off. But, and, and I'm on Instagram, too, but uh, don't post there as often. Twitter. We'll find you there. Yeah. Yay. All right, Joe. Thank you so much for taking oh, the time to chat with us. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yay. Good talk. <laughs> Yay. And there you have it. Joe Kelly, thank you so much. That was so wonderful. So cool. That dude is so easy to talk to. Yeah. After the mics got turned off, like, I just started divulging all of my private life to him. <laughs> he is so, like, paternal, 
wise, but approachable. And very open. You know, we talked a lot about Deadpool after this interview happened uh, and got his feelings on what it's been like to see Deadpool rise in popularity since he's had his hand on the character. And that was just like a fascinating chat. And I would have loved to have gotten that on the podcast, of course. Um, but maybe he would not have been so open and honest <laughs> if he had known that had been on uh, an interview. Anyway. Uh, oh, and Lisa, you got a great story out of him about The Apprentice. Oh, yeah. He was in the first season of The Apprentice. Apparently, they wanted to do a challenge uh, that had something to do with comics, and they had initially reached out to Marvel, and they're like, well, Marvel isn't going to do this. Let me send you over to Image, and it was him and some other New York writers, and yeah, you can totally see his face for like five seconds in season one of The Apprentice. He did not get to meet President Trump, I don't even like saying it. It's like ash in my mouth. Um, and we both agreed that it was probably for the best. Though I would love like uh, to have a story of like, yeah, I met Trump. I gave him the cold shoulder. And I didn't even know the depth of evil he was going to do. But oh, So that was cool. Yeah. And of course, his daughter, who was the inspiration for Barbara Thorson, when she recalled that her father was on The Apprentice. She found that clip and sent it all for friends, and they had a good laugh over it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, like the screening was so great. Like I, you know, like I said at the start of the, the the show, like I just I fell in love with the movie all over again, and it really does uh, improve on a second watch. And man, there was not a dry eye in the house when the credits were rolling. I was sitting next to one of my all time best friends, Amy Kellett. We actually became friends in middle school. She had moved in seventh grade. She had moved from England to the United States, and we became besties, just like Barbara and Sophia. I'm gonna say I'm the I'm the Barbara in the relationship. Uh, yeah. I've got a little uh, bit of a dark uh -huh. side, not as dark as Barbara Thorson, but but still. So it was cool to be able to watch the movie with her, and then also our friend Donna who is a parent, yeah. so she got she got to throw in some parental perspective on the whole thing. Yeah, I Kill Giants is a great sibling story, but it's also like a really punishing mother-daughter story. It is. I, yeah. I think that I Kill Giants as a comic book is a really wonderful fit for the Comic Book Couples Counseling podcast because couples, they don't got to be romantic couples. Any two people just going along to get along, they're a couple... And Barbara is dealing with a lot of really important female friendships and relationships in this movie. The relationship with her older sister, who is just trying to hold it together. Her relationship with Sophia. Ultimately, the relationship with her mother. It's, um, I think that there's a lot there to think about and reflect on and, and go like... What is my priority? Like, when I'm in a relationship, is the priority my comfort? It yeah. can't be all the time. And not to jump ahead to our next episode, but when we're talking about Alec Holland and Abigail Arcane, we're going to be using Common's Love Memoir. And that is very much a, a book that's coming from the point of view of... What Solitariness. It, of, of solitary, and how does love interact in a solitary nature? Right, he... Um, the, the book is called Let Love Have the Last Word, mm -hmm. and he opens the book um, 
showing a little remorse that he has not become a husband Mm -hmm. and he feels this void in his life. But it's really a discussion about how love fits into his worldview and how um, the first section talks also a lot about his relationship with his daughter and has he loved his daughter properly. Yeah, I think you could apply that book to I Kill Giants easily. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. I, I love the fact that Joe stuck to his guns. He, you know, he was working on the screenplay at the same time that he was working on the, the graphic novel adaptation. They are at once two separate entities, but also like one, one thought, one thought experiment. But you think about like the fable influence, the legend mm. influence on the character like Barbara when somebody is a legend, they're not just told in one form. Mm. But the fact that, at least textually, it's two forms, one voice, I cannot get over that. I find that so fascinating. It's a really unique experience, uh, or like a really unique, um, yeah, like a, a really unique relationship from, um, with creator and creation, right? Mm-hmm. Like... He has done so much, as he said at the end of the conversation, you know, he's worked on so many television shows. He's, he's worked in film. He's worked on so many comic book titles. But you got the impression that I Kill Giants is something extremely rare within his own creative output. And he had such confidence in it mm-hmm. that he knew that... It could if, bridge mediums. Exactly. That or he, jump mediums. He could... If he had control over the text, like this could become something very extraordinary. And I think that he succeeded in that. Yeah. So go read I Kill Giants. Go watch I Kill Giants. And then listen to our conversation all over again. You know, one of my frustrations about that night, the Mm -hmm. only frustration I have about that night, is that we hosted the Q&A with him after the screening. And we got, like, my opening, well, you... I stole it. I stole stole the opening. But then my real opening question was so personal, and he was not at all shy about going there and um, telling a very personal story about his family and how that influenced the book. Yeah, in that Q&A, he really went hog wild on inspiration and what he felt. Well, he didn't say how... He didn't interpret the film for the audience, but he led the audience through w- 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 the many interpretations and of what I Kill Giants is. Full spoilers. And the and the idea that the the per- like the perception is really in the eye of the beholder yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And we had wonderful questions from the Alamo Winchester Film Club crowd. And I think a lot of those kids were actually from the screenwriting course. Yes. So they were super insightful questions. Yeah, you know, like sometimes you go to these Q&As at Comic-Cons or or, or wherever and you get some real like... Ooh, Embarrassing, like where awkward. you just... He, you just hate, like, why is this the representation of this audience? <laughs> yeah. But but not not at the Alamo Winchester Band. It was beautiful. It was beautiful, beautiful. Such a privilege. And I did record it, or I thought I had recorded it. Wop, wop. <laughs> I lost that recording because I never pressed record. That is, you had one job to do. I had one job. Failed you guys. I failed you guys. But there you have it. Uh, our Joe Kelly Chatcast. Like we said at the start, this is going to also be in the ItMod Chatcast channel feed. So go to iTunes, go to Podbean, uh, subscribe to that. 
we have conversations like this one with Joe Kelly. Uh, we just interviewed Bong Joon Ho, the director of The Host, and Parasite. Okja. Oh my God! Don't not mention Okja. You I love, love Okja. Okja. I do. Uh, and then this week uh, on Wednesday we'll be dropping the Takashi Miike interview. What? And then on Friday we're going to have an interview with Tom Atkins. Knock on wood, because I actually haven't had that interview yet. Yeah. So we talked to all kinds of really cool, weird, and eclectic creators on the Itmod Chatcast channel. So please jump on over there and subscribe. Give us some love. Yeah. All right, but CBCC time. Next week, Lisa, we're kicking off our Swamp Thing series. That's right. Do you want to review what issues we're yes. starting with? So we're going to go at, to the beginning. We're going to start with House of Secrets number 92. We're going to go to Swamp Thing's issues one through three, written by Len Wein and illustrated by Bernie Wrightson. And then we're going to hop to issues 11 through 13, where Abigail and Swampy really come together for the first time in the continuity of the story. Uh, and yeah, that's going to be week one. And we're going to be using Common. Let love have the last word. Luckily, fortunately... This book is in four parts, and there are going to be four episodes in this series. Yeah. So I'm going to read all of part one. It's actually, I've already read all of part one. It's a quick <laughs> read. I find it really personal and moving. So if you want to go ahead and read the relationship book along with a comic book. Yeah, yeah. I, Lisa and I have been talking a lot about common uh, today, actually, and it's been a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting that conversation onto the podcast. And uh, guys... We know what we're going to be doing for week two. Yes, it's going to be Alan Moore's Saga of the Swamp Thing. We know what we're going to be doing for week three. It's going to be the Nancy Collins run. I haven't picked the issues yet, but it's definitely going to come from her run. But week four, I'm struggling on figuring out what Swamp Thing series I want to focus on. You know, I'm leaning right now to Scott Snyder's New 52, but if you have, like, strong opinions about Brian K. Vaughn's take on the character... Let us know. Tweet us at CBCC Podcast. Or email us. Email us. CBCC CCP. C, I, now I'm messing it up. C. Uh-huh. To the C. Uh-huh. B. Uh-huh. Another C. Uh-huh. Podcast at gmail.com. That's right. That's right. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Lisa, where can our listeners uh, send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Oh, I went in it mod mode. I'm giving you my letterbox, Dave. That's okay. <laughs> I have been really good about it. I forgot to update. I did, forgot to give two and a half stars to Gemini Man. I got to oh, pop sad, in there sad, and do sad. that. Um, How about me? Oh, Brad. Yes. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. I am fighting the good fight for Jendi Tartakovsky's Primal. If you are not watching that show on Cartoon Network, you are missing out on the greatest bit of entertainment 2019 has had to offer so far. Those are those are some strong words, Brad. Well, you haven't finished the series yet, Lisa. I, ha I haven't. So. Chapters four and five are mind-blowing. It's like, guys, if you're not watching Primal on Cartoon Network, I'm not joking. When I put my top 10 films of the year together, Primal, it might be on the top spot, guys. Yeah. Please watch Primal and celebrate it like I am at Mouthwork on all social medias. So until next time. Hey, yes. And you can commit to this podcast oh, yeah. by subscribing mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. iTunes, Podbean, Spotify. And while you're on iTunes, why not hit that five stars? <laughs> 
and rate a super sweet review. It would really make our day. This is what happens when we don't have any notes in front of us. I know. We generally have a super organized (laughs) script. So until next time, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.